0: Anyway, how's everyone doing? Everyone doing all right? How, hey, whoa, that's better than I thought. Really? Is that real? Or is that church? You can be real. Are you doing all right? Yeah, that's good. I'm not. I'm tired, man. I, I Thank you, Doug. <laughs> You've got a yes name in from that. I, I was bragging. We have our staff meeting on Tuesdays. And I was bragging about two or three weeks ago about how good I was feeling. I was like, you know what? My soul's feeling great. I was like, you know, like, I'm looking forward to holidays. I don't need it, though, because like, my soul's just so good. I'm like, you know. And then, like, <laughs> last week I'm in my, our staff meeting. I'm like, I'm so dead. I need a holiday. You know, uh, I just feel tired. And, you know, like, there's tired and, the, and there's, like, there's tired where you, like, you just need to sleep and you'll be all right. And then there's tired. I'm tired. Last couple of weeks, I'm tired. And uh, and then, like, you justify it. It's like, I've been full-time ministry 20 years. I haven't had a sabbatical, you know. And church is, church is you know, super annoying most of the time. And, like, uh, you know, and pack in and pack out. No, nah, you guys aren't, actually. That's just when I get in the funk. Uh, I actually love you guys. I was, and I really do. I was talking to um, Dan this morning. I was like, man, I love our church, which was helpful to remember in light of <laughs> everything. Um, and so, yeah, there's that. And you know, like, when you get tired, like, it's so easy to lose perspective, like I was just talking about just then. You know, you're just like, ah, oh. and you just can lose. That's why, uh, and it, I'm like, again, I, hopefully this is resonating for some of you. I'm like, you got the holidays coming up, but then you, when you're real tired, you're like, sheesh, I hope this holiday's enough. I don't know if it, because like next year feels like it's real soon, and like the 2023 diary's already got things in it, and we're planning things, and I'm like, oh my Lord, if this year goes as quick as, you know, as it has been, then we'll start next year before you know it, and flip, this holiday better be amazing, otherwise I don't know if I can do a whole other year again, Jesus help me, you know, you'll start losing perspective, because it'll be fine, you know, we have a holiday and stuff and we're ready to go. And I'm a, and the reason I felt a bit discouraged, I had to process this with um with a mentor of mine this week is that I firmly believe in the power of form, of the way of Jesus, the forming way of Jesus, to see our souls flourish. That's all I talk about, right? And so then it's like, well, that's nice, Harvey. It's clearly not working for you. I'm like, well, it's kind of worked until about two weeks ago. And then I just felt like, yeah, I should probably need a break. And I think there is a psychology of the finish line coming where your body's like, oh, okay, now we can start to slow down a bit. And I'm like, no, not yet. We've got to get through the busiest patch. Then we can slow down. And my body's like, nah, I'm slowing down. Ah, you know? <laughs> But that's why I think it's so good to, and I like literally I'm like, I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years without a sabbatical, without a private life of prayer and Sabbath rest, I would not be here today. So I do believe in the power of forming disciplines. Um, but it's okay to be human. And we're all vulnerable. And so I'm like feeling a bit whacked at the moment for all sorts of reasons. And it's like, but, but then I'm like, man, I'm so glad we talked through the things we talk through. Because I need to sit under teaching around peace, at this time of year, Charlotte beautifully talking about joy in the midst of all the crazy. And this morning, I'm going to talk about hope. And I need this med- like I've been pre- I've been writing this like, oh, I need this because I'm like when when you go when you lose perspective every time. Like you got to distill things down to where your hope lies deep down. And what's hope? Hope. I love this. Hope is anticipating a future better than the present. That's hope. Eugen Maltman, a famous Bible nerd, says it's anticipated joy. So like when you're feeling a bit tired and you're a bit weary, and some of you guys I know have had really tough years, we have to hold on to hope that there is a future that we can anticipate that's better than our our present because we are hope-based creatures. What we put our hope in, in terms of the future, directly uh, impacts and influences how we feel in the present. So if we have an anticipated joy, then we will feel differently today than if we have anticipated dread. Now, so because we are hope-based creatures, we're going to put our hope in something. It's a matter of where we put that hope where that hope gets channeled. A massive um, amount of our hope, uh, you know, like if we put it in the wrong place, life can get depressing pretty quick when it doesn't deliver on that anticipated joy. Um, and so like these days, I think we live in a world where there's this, like both equal amounts of despair and, and disproportionate hope in our political system. Right? Because it's like, how do we have a better future? If you don't have a framework for God and His kingdom, then the only hope you can put your. your so everyone goes bananas and is increasingly going bananas on that whole space. Now, there's, it's, it's got its place, but I don't think it's a wise place to put your entire hope in. Um, or our, our hope can be like, oh man, if I can get either wealthy or if I, you know, imagine that. Man, how good would that be? Like, I'm like, man, imagine going to the dentist and not stressing out. Imagine your car broke down, it's all, gee, we've got money. I just can't even fathom that. But it's like, you know, but most of us can't. Some of you guys must be nice, must be very nice. Um, So, like, so it's like we double down on, like, getting wealthy or successful, like, oh, man, I just I just hope I get that promotion or I become somebody. Or we put our hope in some sort of power that we might be able to get or some sort of fame maybe, social media. I don't know. And it puts this huge amount of pressure on ourselves to deliver on that anticipated future that will bring us joy. And most of it, friends, are pipe dreams. Yeah, yeah. Or you do get those goals and you realise they do not satisfy. It's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Yay! It's like, dude, where are you going to, you know, give us something here, man. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. I think there's a lot of sickness in the world in terms of people's hearts because hope has been put in the wrong places. Um, and with, I would argue that without Jesus, your hope is very vulnerable. So I've been thinking about hope in light of feeling a bit whacked. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I've like, man, like, what are the non-negotiables that I can I can wisely put my hope in? Here's four things that I want to put before you this morning that we can put our hope in wisely. The first thing's this: the grace of God. Oh, sweet mercy, the grace of God. I have got to put my hope in this, man, <laughs> because like I'm a firm, like, I'm passionate about spiritual disciplines. But they don't make you a good Christian. They position you to receive love from God. They teach us how to live well in a way that will see our soul flourish. But my hope isn't in spiritual disciplines. Yes. My hope is in the grace of God. Especially at this time of year when all our disciplines get wobbly. Let this just free you in Jesus' name. Everyone's like, my devos have just been a mess because I'm tired and I'm busy and I'm stressed. Grace of God, baby. Yes, Hallelujah, the grace of God. Like, that's our first place we put our hope is in the grace of God. And our world's removed this language of sin, but it hasn't removed people's experience of sin, the consequences of it, or the need of a savior. There is sin and darkness in the human heart, and we need someone outside of ourselves to take that away. So, yeah, in our world, mate, I talk, this is why like, we talk about sin at church. And I tell you what, saints burn more grace than sinners do. The more that you track with Jesus, the more and all you get of the grace and mercy of God. And the more you consider the grace of God, the more stunning it is and the more you realize you need it. Uh, Dane C. Ortland in his beautiful book, Gentle and Lowly, says this the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity is that we are declared right with God, not once we begin our, to get our act together but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. Some of us this morning just need to collapse in the grace of God. Just collapse into it. Just receive it. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 5 says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. Like Man, my hope is so in this right now because I'm a pastor and need a grace, <laughs> big time. I need His mercy and His grace in my life. And I'm like, if I don't have that, I'm kind of screwed. <laughs> I'm real screwed, actually. Like, But man, if there is a God of grace and mercy who's rich in mercy, that's a whole other deal. Again, in the stunning book, Gentle and Lonely, Dane C. Ortland says this. Get just, just sink in this, friends. That God is rich in mercy means that the regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe the most make him hug the hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It's unrestrained. Like rich in mercy means unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous, magnanimous. I even practiced it. Magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for Him, but the very thing He loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause His love to take a hit. Our sins cause love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before Him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of His mercy-rich heart we had. It's rich in mercy. It's scandalous. It's greater than you could ever imagine. It is, it's, it is truly scandalous, the grace of God. Jesus has come to move us from a place of guilt and fear to a place of grace and freedom. Hallelujah. And I just want to spend my life banging that drum. God, like honestly, if I could just stand before every one of you, I just want to somehow get this in your soul. God wants to move you from a place of guilt and fear to a place of grace and freedom. That you would live from a place of grace and freedom. And therefore, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's the only place I can go. It's the grace of God. And so if hope is anticipating a future that's better than the present, then here's my hope that I can take communion this morning and I can leave out with a soul that's pure and unblemished because the blood of Jesus has done what Jesus promised the blood of Jesus would do, remove everything that's broken in me as far as the east is from the west. And I'm going to get dirty and messy over the coming week because we live in a a fallen world and it's hard to stay clean when you live in a sewer. But next week, we're not going to take communion, but in about a month's time, we're going to get back take communion. But I tell you, I'm going to keep running. I'm going to every day, Lord, just I need your grace and mercy. I'm putting my hope that you are the God who can cleanse my soul. And so I have a, a, a hope. And so this morning, friends, do not lose hope in the grace of God's power to cleanse you this morning. Collapse into it afresh this morning. Our sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious sin, of this glorious thought. Our sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to that cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord on my soul. We're going to to finish with communion this morning because first and foremost, we've got to put our hope in the grace and mercy of God. I need it this morning. I don't know about you. I need the grace and mercy of God. And we're going to have people at every station, some of the elders of our church. and And as you take communion this morning, for every one of you, they're going to place a hand on your shoulder and they're going to say to you these words, you are forgiven, be at peace and I pray that sinks deep into your soul this morning. You're forgiven. We're going to bring it all to the Lord this morning. Yeah. I put my hope in the grace of God. Second thing is I'm going to put my hope in the forming work of God. Yeah. You get to you get to the end of the year and it's like oh, again I've been a bit grumpy. Jen's out the kids. Thank you Jesus. I've been a bit grumpy with the kids and with my wife and you know in general just a bit that. And it's like Oh, I've been working hard, Jesus, (laughs) to try and become a bit more like you and a little bit discouraged about where I'm at right now. (laughs) You know, I feel like that from time to time. I'm like, man, I've got to keep putting my hope in the forming work of God because my hope isn't a God who loves me just as I am, but a God who loves me too much to leave me there. And so he invites me not just to believe in him, but to follow him, to imitate his way, to learn his practices. And so, like, I, my hope is in this. This is true. I'm going to go through some scriptures in a second. I'm like, my hope are in these scriptures. Uh, because the danger is that we can preach cheap grace, where it's like, and this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred for his faith in World War II, said. He said, This grace isn't cheap grace, it's costly grace because it calls us to follow. Right? So it's not like, this is again where the Western church has got a bit muddled. We're like, we've made it about believing, not following. But, it's, but Jesus was never about believing. He even said, the demons believe in me. It's about following. He says, come, follow me. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, it's costly grace because following Jesus is not easy. Uh, we've said this a whole lot. When you start following Jesus, your brokenness gets exposed. And it's not just naughty things like having an extra drink or whatever, or an extra cream bun. It's things like being too busy. Yeah, come on, come on. Well, We talked about this stuff a lot. On, yeah. It's broken. Yeah. And so following Jesus is costly because yeah. it exposes the brokenness in us, the deformation that's taken place. But that's the only place that you can find healing that leads you into the new life your soul longs for is in following the way of Jesus. So it's costly because it calls us to follow, but it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. How beautiful. It's costly because it costs a man his life. Like again, you got to lay it down when you choose to follow Jesus. But it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin. But it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, this is huge, guys. It is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. But listen to this. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son to dear a price, to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Hallelujah. That's amazing. Because of his great love for us, costly grace is the incarnation of God. That's so why the Bible is very clear on this. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But then listen, the grace of God's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. It's grace that teaches us how to live. Uh, how to live these holy lives, lives that flourish. God's grace doesn't leave us in our dysfunction, saying your bad habits and unhealthy lifestyle, that's all good, mate. You know, keep destroying your soul. That's awesome. No, no, God's grace comes, cleanses us, and then calls us on to flourishing, calls us on. It forgives us, sets us free, and calls us forward. And so the great news of the gospel is that as we come to follow Jesus, we increasingly live a blessed life, not a consumeristic blessed life, but a life that sees our souls flourish. And so my hope is that Jesus will make my life better, not worse. Even though it's tricky, it's a narrow road. That I might live life to the full, not the emptiest. And that I will be able to pin my lifestyle onto this example of Jesus so that I can be truly freed from sin, my disease, my condition, and live from a place of grace and freedom. My hope is in the transforming work of God. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, train yourself for godliness. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 3, and we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're being transformed, the Bible says, from glory to glory as we choose to follow him. But here's the thing that's super irritating about God's forming work is that it's slow. Oh, this is again why I'm a bit frustrated at the end of the year, hoping that I'll just be like, you know, things you know, swaying my way through this bad boy, carrying the peace of God and like just being a non anxious presence instead of being grumpy and yelling at the kids after every other day, you know. And it's like, it's slow. But again, I'm like, what do I do? Do I abandon it because it's slow? Or do I just double down and say, my hope is that you are transforming me from glory to glory? It just doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen. It re- requires, as Eugene Bettison said, a long obedience in the same direction. It's slower than I would like. And here's the thing. It's tough for us to see the fruit of our dedication to Jesus from just this time last year. You know, like, I want you to just think back over your year. Like, are you Different. In terms of like, you've become a little bit more like Jesus. I reckon that's just too tricky a question to ask just about. It's too short a time. It's important. This is why I think it's good over the holidays. Take a step back, reflect on your life and all the rest of it. It's it's tricky to see the fruit, but you can see whether there has been dedication. You can see whether there's been dedication to the way of Jesus or not. And here's the scary thing the enemy wants to do, is he wants to keep you cycling through the same year over and over and over again so that you're a 20-year-old Christian who's really only one or two years mature in terms of the Jesus way. And I've met many Christians 20 or 30 years into the journey, but they haven't, they're not 20 or 30-year-old Christians. They're one or two-year-old Christians that have been in church for 30 years. I'm like, man, I wanna be that guy. I wanna, so I don't know what, how much God's changed me over the last year, but I tell you what, I can tell, I I know that I've been dedicated to the way of, I've been like choosing, I've been contending, I've been pressing in to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. Like, I'm, I, I can, and I know that you guys, many of you guys are like, yeah, man, I look back in the year and I'm like, yep. I, I've, been dedica- I've been pressing in, I've been dedicated to the way of Jesus. And if you're sitting here going, oh, crap, maybe another year's just flowing past and I haven't, then don't let next year be the same story. Because while you can't see the forming work over the short term, you can see dedication over the short term. But what happens is you, when you look back over 10 years, you can see the forming work. And I tell you what, I've had a few moments in the last couple of weeks where I've seen God's forming work in me and it's been really encouraging, <laughs> you know, someone gave me a backhanded compliment from our movement. Oh man, you're way kinder than you were when you joined our movement 10 years ago. <laughs> I'll take it. I was like, I agree. I was a bit of a dick back then, you know? And it's like, I agree. And you know, uh, you know, Facebook memories? I hear mean, this Facebook memory came up from like 15 years ago. And it was like, now, nothing wrong with this little it was a promo I did for an event that we're in. There's nothing in the video itself that was like I was ashamed of or embarrassed about, but it just brought back memories of that time. And I could just see a whole like all the work I hadn't done, which I have done since, in terms of ego and in terms of all sorts of stuff. The Lord's done has humbled and broken me in the best possible way since then. So I looked back and I was like, oh thank goodness I'm not that guy anymore. And I just and and like you know go back to that picture, Ramon. I'm like, I don't know. I was just googling like kind eyes or something, you know. And the guy clearly smokes a pipe or something. Again, yeah, no problem with that. But it's like you know, fair bit of tobacco there. But I'm like, here's the reality. It's like, there's an 80 year old Sam in a hospital, a 90 year old maybe Sam in a hospital bed. You know, 40, 50 years from now, and I'm like, he's either bitter because he hasn't learned to forgive and he's relationally impoverished because things have got tricky in all these relationships around him and he's short with the nurses and he's just not a guy you want to spend a lot of time with and I can easily track in that direction. I was heading that way. Or there's a Sam that's sitting in that hospital bed who's filled with patience and kindness And he's just like a holy man because he's sat in the presence of God so long. That's where I want to go. And like, guys, I know that some of you guys have gone through tricky years, have really tough years. Some of you have gone through real suffering and real grief. And there's comfort, both in that God is with us through our suffering. He never, ever promised that we wouldn't go through grief and suffering. He never promised that. He just said he'd be with us through it. But here's the thing about suffering. Suffering is the invitation of God to do a forming work on steroids, if you let him. If you let Jesus in to your suffering, that's when you can see, that's when, it's like a, it's the fast-tracked formation of Jesus. It's through suffering. In Romans 5 verse 2, Paul says this, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What's that glory? It's us becoming transformed to be like him. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And he talks now about the formation that happens during suffering, because suffering produces perseverance. If you've gone through suffering this year and you're in the room today, well done, you haven't given up. There's a perseverance in your faith that has been formed that stunning. And perseverance forms character that's everything we're after. And character, hope, ironically. The people that have gone through some of the greatest suffering in our church, who have let Jesus in through those spaces, are some of the most inspiring people that you could ever meet in this church. They will fill you with hope. Beth, the Kitty, Terry, many others in this room who have gone through deep grief, deep disappointments, deep suffering, and they are a testament that their perseverance has produced character, and their character then embodies a hope that then is contagious and is a blessing to others, and hope that. Does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. It's so good. So, when it comes to anticipating a future better than the present, then, then my hope is in this. That even though I'm a bit annoyed about how I'm finishing the year in terms of the state of my soul, I don't know where else to put my hope in terms of, of believing that the fruit of the Spirit will be embodied more and more in my life. The other people, are, they're all the people we want to be, people that are fruity. And, like, I've seen some kind people that haven't followed Jesus all the the years, but I'm like, tell you what, if I'm a gambling man, I'm putting my money on Jesus, being the way to form a soul. I think that's where it happens, as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from glory to glory, that through suffering and pain and the reality of life, I trust that God is doing a deep and good work in my heart. And so my hope is in the grace of God, and my hope is in His transforming work in my life, and I am not giving up with that hope. I'm a little bit annoyed about where I'm at. And I'm like, God, I wish it was quicker sometimes, but maybe not too quick because I don't want to go through some suffering. But whatever, man, if we can have a nice little learning, it would be great. But I'm like, I'm putting my hope that this is, like as we go into next year, I'm not going to give up on these spiritual disciplines. And I'm going to keep fighting for my devos, even though it's a billion dollar industry trying to distract me. And I'm going to keep fighting for Sabbath, even though I've been conditioned to keep going, put our identity and work I'm going to keep fighting for these spiritual disciplines because I trust that that's how I'm formed. As I choose to walk the way of Jesus, I'm going to become more like him so that's where I'm putting my hope. I'm going to speed up a little bit. The kingdom of God is where I've thirdly put in my hope. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world. Uh, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Again, it's irritatingly slow. I'm like, you know, uh, everyone, especially in the Pentecostal church, loves the whole thing. Oh man, the numbers, you know, an X numbers were being added to them daily. You know, and thousands came to us, all, all go, go, go. And we are like, how come we're going to get back? You know, it's like, that was, the, that was like the explosion that started the church. But uh, I've been reading just a little bit because I'm tired and can't be bothered reading a lot of fiction right now. I've been dabbling in a little bit to this book, which I just like the title. Uh, the Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And it's like, how did the church go from like this tiny little thing to literally Constantine looking at Rome going like 60%, 70% Christians in this space now? We better turn this whole thing Christian which destroyed Christianity real quick, by the way. It was a nightmare when Constantine made it the state religion. It was always just, anyway, we've trying to recover from that since. But before that, the church grew by generational faithfulness at about 2 to 3% a year in terms of conversions and stuff. Like, it wasn't, like, it was just this, and it wasn't just the conversion thing, which, again, we get frothed on. It was, like, the reason, they didn't, they, like, the evangelism thing went on crusades and stuff. They just lived this radically countercultural life that slowly, subversively changed their society. But it like, it's like a mustard seed. It's this tiny little thing. And I haven't watched a mustard seed grow uh, up to a big friggin' tree, but I'm like, not that quick. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that one's for free. You know, it's like, it's just not that trees don't grow that quick. And like in the West, we're impatient and we've got pine trees that grow as quick as anything. But like most trees don't grow that quick. And even though they're quick, you know, take like 30 years to get good or whatever. But the same with the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. Where do I put my hope in terms, of, again, this, the, the society being transformed and flourishing? Again, I'm like, the politics have its place. We've got to decide which how fast the, the roads should be. And there's some policies, you know, we've got to, not, I'm going to talk about this stuff next year. Yeah, we've got to engage with it. But it's not where we put our hope. Our hope is in the kingdom of God. Our hope is in the kingdom of God. And this is the thing. It's a kingdom of beauty and creativity and goodness and hope and joy. And the kingdom looks like every minute teaching a child with disabilities to read or walk or every act of care and nurture, every act of comfort and support, every spirit led teaching and every prayer and every deed that embodies holiness rather than corruption and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. That's what the kingdom is, this multifaceted diamonds. And as the followers of Jesus get the kingdom in their heart. And start giving them their life, seeking first the king and his kingdom. That's when things start to change over generations, as we have a long obedience in the same direction. That's when the world gets turned upside down. And that's why I am passionate about the church, because the church is the place, these, people, these are kingdom people that gather to worship the king. And, like, uh, but here's my thing we should be acting least like Christians on a Sunday morning. This is not where we act like Christians. When we leave this place, that's when we act like Christians. It's very easy to act like Christians here, but this is not what it means to follow Jesus. There's part of it, it's an important part of it, because it's kingdom people having an ecclesia. Church is literally the gathering of the kingdom people to have a kingdom gathering. We worship the King. Super important, don't get me wrong. But it's when we leave this place, how we treat people in our workplace, how we walk with integrity instead of with cashies or whatever it may be, like all that stuff, that's what it means to, to be a Christian, that's what it, when we when we care for that broken person in our work, that's a kingdom activity. When we create some art or beauty that reflects the hope to come, that's the kingdom work. All of that stuff when we that like this, the sermon on the mount is the kingdom embodied, and let's get that in our bones and year and year out start to live it out because that's where I've put our hope. Bishop Leslie Newbegin says the church has outlived great empires, philosophical system, the most brutal oppressive regimes, the things that seem to occupy the whole, whole horizon of public thinking right now will simply be phantoms half remembered from the past 20, in, in, the, in 20 years from now. But the church will still be there. 100 years, church still be there. So I'm putting my hope in the kingdom of God, through the people of God. And I pray that we get uh, that in our hearts. If, if anticipating a future better than the present is what hope is all about, then I have I I put my hope that I'm part of something that is good, meaningful, and that my life is contributing to the most beautiful work of God that matters for all eternity. That's where I want to spend my life. And that's why this is beautiful. Bringers of hope. Kingdom work. I know know the supermarket's like five times more expensive than it was this time last year. (laughs) Costly kingdom gifts. So beautiful. That we bring hope to others. Kingdom work, I love it. So we don't capitulate to our hope in political processes or parties or give to the secular vision that we, we, of where we should spend our time and focus in our life. We give our life to seeking first his kingdom and we wrestle with what it looks like to play our part in that kingdom work. That's where I'm putting my hope in terms of spending my life. And lastly, my hope is that he will return in glory, the return of the king. So we've got the grace of God, the forming work of God, the kingdom of God, and that he will return in glory. And this is why Advent's really important, because Advent is a time we look back to to the reality that God promised that he would come, and he did, in Jesus. Like All those prophecies in Isaiah and many of the other prophets, hundreds of them, that you can't just orchestrate. Jesus comes and fulfills. He steps, like how incredible I'm going to talk about this next week in my little rant on love but my, how incredible is it that he stepped into our world what a God that's amazing his humility and his love for us his willingness to using to, person to, to walk into the neighborhood I mean it's just it's, it's scandalously beautiful and if he came again, then we can have hope that he will fulfill his promise and one day return in glory. Our hope is that one day he will come, and the lion will lie down with the lamb, and there will be no more pain and no more suffering, no more grief and loss, and he will wipe every tear from every eye, and the world will be restored to the way it was always meant to be. Tim Mackey says that God's faithful, God's past faithfulness. Motivates hope for the future. You can look forward by looking backwards, trusting in God's character. And this is important for us because um, I want us to wrestle with this. Like, do you really believe this? Like, does your heart burn with like, oh, come back, Jesus. Oh, I can't wait for you to return in glory. Oh, what a hope we have. Have you let your imagination run wild around what that's going to look like and feel like and be like? because it's so important, because again, Christian hope is that where we've got a clarity about that future, that we bring that into the present, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So the more you imagine what knew, he feels like, and what creation looks like, and what relationships are like, and all that sort of stuff in the future age to come, then the role of the church is to bring that into the present. But not only that, but it's a hope that we have. Like, you've got to remember, for thousands of years, generations, they like, come, Messiah, come. You promised you would come. Generation after generation of patience waiting. And he came. And he came. And now we're back in that same thing of like, we're in the, uh, in the already not yet part of the, the story. He's come. He's taken sin and dealt with it. He's defeated the power of death. And he says, I'm going to return in glory. And so we look forward to that day. We anticipate that with great hope as the scripture that was read out so beautifully by the Tarn this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Absolutely stunning Passage. We have a hope. The resurrection has opened up for us a hope. Because, friends, you are going to die, but the power of death has been defeated. We don't have to fear it anymore. We have a living hope about what's on the other side of that journey. The Psalms say that our life is like a breath. (sighs) Done. Man, I'm starting to recognise that. I was 25 yesterday. (laughs) What happened? And like... I know there's a psychology behind this. Like, every year goes quicker as you live longer. (laughs) Dead. Right? How free, I mean, that's reality. So, like, either we put enormous amount of pressure to make this the most amazing existence ever in the short breath we have, or we put our hope that the best is yet to come. Now I don't, eh, there's a whole whole riff there that's been abused a little bit in some churches because the best is maybe not yet to come on this present earth. Suffering, get, the Bible says we are going to outwardly waste away yet inwardly be renewed day by day. Your body is going to wear out. That's not a failure of faith, that's a biblical reality. But our hope is that in the resurrection bodies, in resurrection bodies. And so the early church faced death because of their faith Thank God we don't have to worry about that. They'll probably sharpen us up a little bit as to whether we believe this or not. They doubled down on it, facing lions, facing crucifixion. Most of the New Testament authors, the very people who wrote this book, faced death because of their faith. But they were not intimidated by death. What's death? What is it? It's just this doorway we walk through to paradise. Like, I've got to believe that deep. And, and tell you, I've been, a, this is one of the gifts of being a pastor, which I actually do love my job. I'm like, <laughs> one of the gifts of being a pastor is being exposed to death on the regular, yeah. semi-regular. Nothing like Adam and a few others. But I'm like, what a gift. Because I've been with saints as they've died. And it's like, what? Man, the, this, this matters then. And it's why like, get into your soul now so that you're just at peace. I know, like, what's death? I'm not intimidated by it. I can be with you. It's like, even whatever suffering you're going through, it's like, well, what is that? It's nothing. You know what the Bible calls it? The worst thing that you're going through? A light and momentary trouble. Yeah. <laughs> if you get this context in your head, that life is a breath, and then we've just got, like, heaven on earth, it's like a light and momentary trouble. This is like, my, their boss is absolutely hell. Light and momentary trouble. You know? <laughs> I've got no money this Christmas because I've not only got Christmas, I got a whole lot of birthdays in my family this year. Yeah, every year it trees me out. Like my material trouble, you know. Like if we get to get context here, therefore we don't lose heart. One Corinthians fifteen. I'm sorry, I'm just culling a whole lot of my talk. One Corinthians fifteen on the fly is an amazing passage about the resurrection bodies that we have. Jesus rises again with the physical body. He's like the prototype. The Bible says the first fruits. He had a physical body. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about this physical body, this new physical body we're going to have one day. And N.T. Wright says this, I love it. What we have at the moment isn't, as the old liturgies used to say, the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead, but instead we've got a vague and fuzzy optimism that somehow things may work out in the end. We've got to sort that out, church. We have the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. Romans 8, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning and is in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly, uh, as, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, not just our souls. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's going to come and sooner than you think. Like life feels long some days, like, you know, days are long, years are short, and all that sort of thing. But I'm like, man, it's a breath, according to the psalmist. It's so true. So I'm like, man, I've been doing some work mentally on anticipating that resurrection body. Can't wait. It's gonna be a good body. I've been doing some work on that age to come, because it's like I don't have the fear of missing out. A lot of the time, I've got the joy of missing out. You know why? Because instead of YOLO, I'm like YOLT. Instead of you only live once, well, that's not true biblically. You only live twice. So I'm looking. I'm putting a lot of eggs in the basket of that age to come. That the Bible says there's a reward when you choose to sacrifice for the things of the kingdom. And so I'm like, man, I'm looking forward to the first 100 years of six foot and offshore. Seriously, this world will be renewed and the glory of God will cover it like the water covers the sea. We've done work on Revelation 21 and 22. Heaven comes back down to earth. The earth isn't destroyed and thrown out. God, Genesis 1, instead of a garden, we have a city that comes down. God's heart was always to create a good world where people lived in harmony and relationship with him and with one another. And where we would flourish forever under him. I mean, just imagine what that's going to be like. I just can't wait. So anticipating a future better than the present, oh, man, when Christ returns and sets things, all things right and heaven is established on earth fully, and it, I just can't, there's like, oh, man, no more tears, no more goodbyes, no more sorrows. The kingdom's going to be this giant reunion. Oh, I've got people that have passed away that I'm looking forward to hanging out with. And it's going to be this, like, Shocking and wild, oh hallelujah at last, gathering. Oh hallelujah at last. This is what it's going to feel like. And what's m- even more beautiful is that the cast offs of our world, those whom our culture disdains and discards and disappoints and devastates, they will lead the laughter and the dancing. They will lead the laughter and the dancing. And we'll have a new body and we will enjoy paradise. And this earth as heaven and earth are once more reunited because the king has returned. And so, like, as I've been feeling a bit weary and a bit tired, I've been like, oh, man, where can I put my hope? I'm like, I'm putting my hope in the grace of God. I'm putting my hope in the forming work of God. I'm putting my hope in the kingdom of God, breaking into this world because he's the restoring, redeeming God of all things. And I'm putting my hope that one day he will return in glory. Hallelujah. Your death we show forth. Your resurrection we proclaim. Your coming we await. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.